Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, lots of uh, chatter in the last couple of days in regard to China, our relationship with them, and, of course, the two Michaels uh, being formally charged, uh, uh, obviously in retaliation to uh, the Huawei CFO and uh, her extradition case to the United States continuing. Uh, Now we have had uh, one of the spouses of one of the two Michaels speak up and add a certain, uh, certainly a more personal note to all of this uh we'll talk about that as well in just a sec but first here's what the prime minister had to say when it came to hostage diplomacy and handing one over for the other two or vice versa no we're not considering that canada has a strong and independent justice system we will ensure that it goes through its proper forces and uh, anyone who's uh, considering weakening our values or weakening the independence of our justice system doesn't understand the importance of standing strong on our principles and our values. Let's bring in Charles Burton, Senior Fellow, McDonald Laurier Institute. He is with us now. Charles, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Good to hear from you, Scott. Nice uh, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Your thoughts on um, now hearing from the family of uh, in, in regard to the spouse of one of the two Michaels, how does that change the scenario here? Well, I think certainly if the government had felt that this matter of, of Mr. Kovrick and Mr. Saver being subject to arbitrary detainment would just fade away from the public interest, that has not been the case. And certainly I think that the family of Mr. Kovrick and Mr. Saver have shown great forbearance in presumably taking the advice of the government, which would be to keep quiet and let the government do their work in trying to get the release of Culverkin's favor. But maybe by about day 565, they reckoned that this was starting to wear a bit thin and that there didn't seem to be any progress towards Culverkin's favor's release. And indeed, last week, um, they were charged with serious charges of espionage and almost inevitably will face a very harsh sentence for it. So so now um, Mr. Kovrick's estranged wife has come forward, and certainly, you know, I think all our hearts go out to the friends and family of those two gentlemen. Um, she is proposing that there be a debate on whether Ms. Mung should be um, released in the Canadian national interest, which would be with, within the powers of the Minister of Justice. Um, you know, one can fully understand why she... Uh, why she uh, would want that, because she wants her loved one home. But uh, if we give in to coercion and blackmail in this case, I think it really emboldens the Chinese regime to do more of this kind of gross violation of normal diplomatic protocols. And uh, so I I, I think with regret, uh, that's not the way to go. But the government taking more vigorous measures to counter this and to acknowledge that their strategy over the past 570 days has failed, uh, that's another issue altogether. You talked about this being coercion and, and blackmail, and, and obviously the issue here is if we let her go, what's the Allied response? This is a national treaty, and uh, on the other side is this hostage diplomacy. They're not happy with us, so uh, they take a uh, they they take a, a hostage. Uh, this question it's come up a few times. It's coming up again. I've had even discussions with academics on this. Um, is this a viable option or is this wishful thinking? And, and if so, why do we keep bringing it up? Because at the end of the day, if we succumb to this, uh, are we not opening up the door for 
uh, hostage diplomacy, taking people off the street whenever China doesn't like the way the rest of the world is thinking. And we've certainly seen plenty of evidence of that in, in the near in the past future or sorry, in, in the recent past. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the question really is um, perhaps the government um, could have been more forthcoming about this option for the Minister of Justice to, to scotch the process. You know, um, Deputy Prime Minister uh, Christia Freeland, when she was Foreign Minister, kept repeating the formula that Canada is a rule of law country. Well, we know that, but our law does allow for the possibility of, um, of the Minister of Justice intervening. But that being said, clearly it would be a mistake for the Minister of Justice to intervene based on, on menacing coercion from um, an authoritarian government. So, you know, it's not a question of is it possible. The question really is, is it a good idea in the Canadian national interest? And I, I think, you know, the government could have done a lot more to try and incentivize the Chinese regime to release Kovrigan's favor and chose not to do so, I think because of the pressure from the business community that if Canada did anything that makes the Chinese regime unhappy, engages in any kind of retaliation or cracks down on Chinese espionage in Canada or, um, you know, uh, opens up the Magnitsky list and sanctions Chinese officials who are complicit in the uh, concentration camps for Turkic Muslims in the northwest of China or did anything to protest vigorously China's violation of the UN Convention of All the Sea and their expansion of territory into um, areas very close to the territorial waters of other countries and so on and so on, that, um, you know, that that would negatively impact on business and that if we made concessions to the Chinese and treated them the way that they wanted to be treated, that they would look with favor on us and then uh, listen to our, our logic mm. that, the, that, the, that the detainment of Kovrigan's favor was a gross violation of international law and that there is no legal basis for holding them. So, you know, the policy failed. I think too much emphasis was put on the economic factor, and now we're in this situation where Kovrigan's favor are about to face a harsh prison sentencing and uh, no sign of the Chinese regime um, backing down in any way, shape, or form. And in the end, isn't using this option choosing between either China or the United States? And isn't that choice obvious? Well, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of economic retaliation, you know, we only do 4% of our of our exports to China, and we do 78% to the United States. So, and, and aside from which, you know, the United States does not arbitrarily kidnap and torture people to yeah. send a message to the Canadian government. It's, there really is no uh, moral equivalent between the government of the United States and that of, um, of China. I mean, many Canadians may not like uh, Donald Trump as president, but the U.S. system is still a democracy with an independent rule of law, and the president is not the only political actor there. Uh, China doubling down and saying this is a double standard. They show they show no signs of letting up at this point. They don't, but I think there is nobody in China who believes that there is any basis for detaining Kovrigan's favor. So I think they have become more and more defensive in their more and more extreme statements. You know, the day before Justice Holmes handed down the decision. Um, that that the extradition hearing can go ahead, that 
that the that the extradition request in the United States is justified in terms of our treaty obligation. Um, Ms. Mung and her friends staged a sort of photo op where they were, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing victory signs on the on the steps of the BC Superior Courthouse. I think they genuinely believed that we that their hostage diplomacy had worked and that Ms. Mung would be released and that would solve the matter. When that didn't happen, I think to save face, they had to do something more. So they then took out the option that they had previously, which is to say we've been investigating the case of Kovrigan's favor. There is not enough evidence to take them to trial. Therefore, they can go home. That's no longer an option because it's gone into the trial phase. So they, they're essentially shooting themselves in the foot and getting themselves in a worse and worse situation that's now raising the attention of other nations, particularly uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and the Europeans, who are concerned that if China can do this to Canada, will they start doing it to other countries as well? So really, at the end of the day, the whole idea of Canada just waving a wand and dropping all of this is really not an option. What about the option of the U.S. dropping this case? Uh, I mean, that you know, that's a possibility. I, what I would prefer to see would be for the U.S. to use its power to to take measures against China that will give China a strong incentive to do the right thing and let our people back into Canada. And certainly, you know, this matter, as you say, originated with the United States wanting to, to prosecute Ms. Mung on serious charges of fraud. And so one would hope that there would be a moral o- obligation for the United States to go to bat for Canada on this and to use the extent of their power to bring about the desired result. You know, because of the the nature of the asymmetrical power relationship between Canada and China, they're freely able to to pull our diplomats on leave off the street and subject them to 570 days of hell, but they would never dare do that to an American citizen. Yeah, we've talked about that earlier, how that would have changed had it been uh, two Americans that were taken. Charles Burton, Senior Fellow, McDonnell-Laurier Institute. Charles, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Great to speak with you again, Scott. Take care. Be well, Charles. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Ben Roswell, President, Canadian International Council. He is with us now. Ben, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you. Although uh, I'm feeling sad for Michael Kovrig after that very uh, heart-rending testimony by his his wife yesterday really brought home the, uh, the human suffering behind this story. And with that, once again, uh, the question comes up about Canada uh, maneuvering and and letting uh, the Huawei CFO go to avoid the extradition and the international uh, treaty. Uh, but but again, that would equal hostage diplomacy. Is that the answer? Why do we keep bringing this up? Uh, well, I suppose critics of the government uh, keep bringing it up because the government keeps refusing uh, to do it, and uh, there is a human tragedy or two or more, depending on how many detainees uh, would be uh, tied up in this. This is one of those really difficult situations where the interests of two Canadian citizens, um, the sort of direct personal interests that they have, in, obviously in their freedom, might be in conflict with the interests of, uh, of all of us, which is in not standing up to a bully. It's a, it's, it's, um, a problem I've had to deal with in actual uh, hostage hmm. uh, diplomacy, working in war zones where terrorists will abduct a Canadian citizen, and everyone wants the, the Canadian to be uh, to be let free. Um, but the problem is, as soon as you do that, you expose the next Canadian citizen to exactly right. the same kind of uh, 
kind of danger. And so that's why we have a, an explicit ban on uh, hostage uh, diplomacy when it comes to like hostage exchange in, in terrorist situations. And I think the same logic applies when it comes to a great power. Obviously, China's not a terrorist entity, um, but it's the same logic of force that's behind this. This is a powerful country that feels that it can browbeat a smaller one into submission. And if we agree to submit, then we'll just be browbeat into submission on the next issue with similar or some other kind of um, leverage. Uh, if they're willing to use human lives to exert political pressure, um, what else will they stop at? Eventually, someone has got to stand up to this country. Mm. Uh, surprised at China's reaction, especially with uh, the Huawei CFO posing for pictures the weekend before the decision, uh, supposedly with a victory sign. Um, do, do you think China thought we would just push this away, let it go? Yeah, it's a strange, uh, strange for them to anticipate, signal that they anticipated a, a positive response when they didn't get it. You know, diplomats fallible. It might be that Chinese diplomats uh, are not at reporting accurately on uh, on what's happening in Canada, what the real dynamics are. In an authoritarian system, there's always disincentives for state employees to speak truth to power. And mm. it might be that the Chinese diplomats are just not doing a very good job of relaying to Beijing the reality of how the Canadian system uh, operates, the fact that there genuinely is a division between the judicial branch and the executive branch. I know that... Uh, that's very difficult for an authoritarian government to understand because everything usually is all the shots are called by one. Person. Hang on a sec, Ben. Let, let me interrupt you there, Ben. I understand that it's not the same ide- ideology. I understand uh, that they don't participate. They don't get it. But does that mean uh, does that mean they don't understand it? I, I can't see that because even though we we may not agree with the way they do things we certainly do understand where they're coming from and why they do what they do do they not give us that same respect do they are they not smart enough to know that we actually abide by this law this is is this new to them uh it's really hard to get inside their uh inside their heads so there could be a few things it could be just that uh it's um it's a career limiting move um to mention to xi jinping yeah. um, that his gambit is uh is not likely. But uh, is is it not a country limiting but, move to not do that? I, I guess because my next follow up question to this ban is: Is China not realizing what a black eye it is giving itself around the world? After for many years, it's appeared. You know, it was the image was it was the golden goose and everybody was going to be friendly. Now it's the exact opposite of that. Does does China realize the repercussions here that they're turning the tide against them? Well, you know, China as a rising power is trying to rewrite the rules in the international system. Um, Countries like ours uh, abide by the rule of law. Um, China does not abide by the, by the rule of law. And when countries do abide by the rule of law, it it is a constraint on, uh, you know, on the warlords and the the thugs and and all those uh, others that just want to exert that power. Um, So there might actually be a beneficial uh, effect to China if it can get Canada, um, to compromise on its own rule of law when uh, when it when China lays down the um, lays down the gauntlet, um, that will in- empower them in future uh, in future conflicts with other countries. The thing and is does that, it really matter you know, if they do that if they are so interwound in our economy, our healthcare system, our education system? They contribute lots. Uh, is that already happening? Are, are we already too dependent on them? We're going to have to find some kind of balance between. Um, the benefits of economic integration 
and uh, our ability to, to protect ourselves. There is a balance already, but I think most Canadians, as we've seen from recent polling, don't think that the uh, that the, the balance is, uh, is quite correct. We probably are going to have to reduce our vulnerability in uh, some areas. I think the main path to success, though, is in realizing that we're not alone. We're not the only country that's getting bullied by China. Um, right now, Australia is getting really uh, badly hit by China because Australia is leading the charge of uh, nations that are calling for a transparent and open investigation into the origins of COVID and mm-hmm. the number of unnecessary deaths that followed from the uh, from information, critical information being hidden. Um, but there's all kinds of countries that are that are being browbeaten by, by one way or the other in China. And that's why I think um, it's quite an interesting call by the leader of the opposition, Andrew Scheer, saying that perhaps Canada should be coordinating between countries that are all uh, suffering at the hands of uh, Chinese Chinese bullying tactics. Uh, That's my next question here, Ben. That's my next question here, Ben. Should those countries unite uh, against the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party's aggression, or with Donald Trump and the U.S. being in the state that it is, that's pretty tough right now. Well, a, a key, it'll be the, the key question there is whether we band up, band together with the Americans or not, because the Americans are the superpower. And so it would in- inevitably be uh, their gang that's being uh, being created. And that means that we might just be playing into some kind of Cold War dynamic, uh, you know, playing second fiddle to uh, to Washington, which um, Canada's been, I think this will come as some surprise to Canadians, but we've actually been remarkably successful at um, following our own path in international affairs, a path that's sometimes right. parallel to the United States. And that might be might easier at this be, point. It might be... Um, better for us to actually pursue uh, collaboration between countries uh, that, do- that don't include the United States, uh, you know, maybe keep the Americans informed. Um, but, you know, maybe Canada and Australia should uh, should team up and then start yeah. to, to build out from there so that it's not seen as something driven by Washington, but something driven by Canberra and Ottawa and the, the, uh, the capitals of the other liberal democracies um, that have had enough and that realize that it's only in combining our uh, our national uh, power um, that we might be able to stand up to this uh, this bully. You know, the United States acts as a bully sometimes. They haven't uh, apprehended yep. any of our citizens. No. Um, but, you know, there might also be benefits to having uh, liberal democracies also prevent a, a bit of a united front when it comes to crazy things the United States does. You know, the United States is defunding and, and trying to get out entirely out of the World Health Organization at the yeah. very time that we're trying to fight a world pandemic. Maybe the other countries of the world need to, uh, to band together. And say, Maybe oh, we have to stop depending. Down. Yeah, you're right. Maybe the rest of the world has to stop depending on the United States as much as they depend on China in that respect. Uh, yeah. Where do you see this going? Because the obviously the Huawei CFO case, that's going to be in the courts for an awful long time. Now the charges are going through with the two Michaels. Uh, no seat on the UN Security Council. What's the next play for the government? Well, the judicial process uh, takes forever uh, if if uh, one of the parties uh, continues to contest, and and Meng Wanzhou's lawyers are, you know, looking up every single rule in the book to try and uh, prevent her extradition. And because we're the rule of law, uh, you know, rule of law country, um, our the the legal process will just drag on as long as uh, uh, as long as it can. Um, and so I, I do think that we're going to be in this kind of stasis for a long time, which is a terrible, terrible situation for uh, for the two uh, for the two Michaels. Um, eventually, I suspect uh, there will be um, some kind of shift. Amer- um, China has this pattern of focusing, putting one country in the doghouse. 
yeah. um, one after the other. They did it after the after there was a Nobel Prize offered to their uh, democracy activist, uh, Xiaobou, and the, uh, it tends to be for about two years that the Chinese government keeps these countries in the doghouse. Eventually, you know, politics changes and different interests come to the surface and those countries get let out of the doghouse. Um, so that, that might actually happen. We're a year and a half into this. Uh, perhaps by the time we get to the to the winter or next summer, there'll be some different context and China um, might see, uh, might perceive its interests uh, differently. And so I think we have to hold firm, um, resist pressure where, uh, where possible, put pressure back on China and collectively as much as we can and, uh, and ex- exercise strategic patience. Ben Roswell has been with us, President Canadian International Council, talking about the two Michaels and the Huawei CFO and, of course, the extradition case that has Canada caught in the middle. Ben, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. All right. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.